Welcome back to the mailroom where we interview aspiring entertainment industry professionals. I'm Steven. And I'm Tyler. And today we have on a great guest. Her name is Ruchika Davalapali, and she's an executive assistant to the SVP of production at 20th Century Studios. Ruchika, such a great guest, but I can't get over the fact that she said she could read 300 pages in a matter of hours. I mean, I didn't know it was humanly possible to read that fast. I, I honestly started rethinking my whole life after she said that. <laughs> I know. I, I, I kept asking her, so intrigued. I was like, how do you read? Do you sit at a table? Do you sit at a couch? I needed to know. Clearly, there's a lot of reading going into her job you know, as an assistant to the SVP of production, and she just has such a cool story of how she got to where she is and what she's doing right now. I mean, her boss sounds so amazing, like uh, someone who's just willing to teach her everything she knows and, and it's like she's just in a place right now where she can soak it all up. She can soak it all up and has somebody who supports her and wants her to grow and develop. What are we still talking for? Let's just hear Rashika. Welcome to the mail room. Well, welcome to the podcast. Yes, Rashika. We're so happy to have you on. Yeah, this is so cool. Have you ever done a podcast before? I've never done a podcast. Ooh, we hadn't before this podcast. Not, neither of us had been guests on a podcast or hosts, and here we are. <laughs> Same. Yep. And then Stephen texted and was like, "Do you want to be on?" And I was like, "I love talking about myself." <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood. Yeah. I know, basically. <laughs> Who loves talking about theirself in Los Angeles? <laughs> <laughs> Rarity. So you know, Rashika and I know each other because before. My current job, I was an assistant to a director who is working on a movie, possibly, with... With 20th. With 20th. Yeah. Yes. With, specifically with my boss. Yes. Um, so Stephen and I were on emails together, notes calls together, the whole shebang, and now yes. we're not anymore. Now we're not, because <laughs> I... And, and I know you guys had gotten drinks yeah. once before, but yes, it's so cool because... A lot of the time, especially during COVID, like you're working with these people, and, and for me, working in production at the studio level, and I'm emailing them every day. I feel like I know these people, but I've never met them. Yeah. Was it kind of weird meeting for the first time, getting drinks, or not really? I feel like we also didn't interface too much. We didn't. We didn't. No. It was like maybe a few email chains we happened to be on. Uh, Wait, but by the way, <laughs> like he didn't even reach out like over email. He reached out to me on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> I went around. The easy like, way to, who is to... it? <laughs> LinkedIn Pro? Yeah. I do have LinkedIn Pro. Pro tip, reach out to your contacts on LinkedIn. Is it? Is, <laughs> did that change anything? Like, was it better that I reached out on LinkedIn or would it have been better if I just shot you an email? I think it would have been better if you'd shot me an email. Hmm. But luckily, <laughs> in your, like, description it said that you worked for Benson Lee and I was oh, like, so you put it two and two together. Yeah. Right. And now here we are on the podcast. I feel like we've known you forever. Forever. <laughs> it's, been, it's been years. I mean so what do you do now as your current job? So I work at 20th Century Studios. I am the assistant to Sarah Shepherd, who is the SVP of production over there. But the cool thing about her job is um she was specifically hired to kind of like take over and put together Hulu's slate of um, original movies. And so if you think about it, like there has been Palm Springs, there has been Happiest Season, Love but those Palm were Springs. great movie. Unreal. Um, but those were acquisitions. And mm-hmm. so they were movies that um, Hulu had bought like once they were made, right? So Sarah is tasked with 
developing in-house at 20th movies specifically for Hulu. And so in the same way, like Netflix develops their own movies and like Wait, Amazon. Wait, so are we saying that Hulu has never developed an in-house original movie yet? Not yet. Wow. I didn't know that. You heard it here first on the mail. <laughs> that's that's news to me. I guess I never thought of well, that. Actually, I don't know if you guys saw Vacation Friends, John Cena. I I heard of it. That I mean, was I, the first one. Okay, wow. And there was a lot of press for that. that yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of that sense. That was now. the very first one that was like developed in house at Twentieth, put specifically for Hulu. Do we, oh, that's so exciting. Do we feel like they should have? advertise that more or did they i feel like they kind of did they probably did they sort of did yeah <laughs> i do agree i i think it should have been advertised more because i definitely had a lot of friends who were like oh like i saw it on like the hulu banner right, right. and also if you're hulu you want to be like hey we actually made our own movie now and I, we're in this space and i do yeah. like those people i like laurel i like yeah uh, uh, john cena i think they're both very funny people well i thought it was really funny that um and an article like in Variety came out. I think it was like Variety or the Hollywood Reporter, and the title was like, "Oh, like why hasn't Hulu like like started their original film slate yet?" And all of us were kind of like, "We're here." <laughs> <laughs> Somebody saw that article and was like, "Hey, we need a big movie really yeah, quick." Call really, really fast. It actually did really, really well though. So yeah. that was um, that was exciting for oh, us. That's so exciting. And that's like, and it, it's like an interesting foray into. We're still like trying to figure out what our um, kind of like what our brand is. Like, what kind of movies are we making? Are we making mm-hmm. all types of movies? Are we making like only comedies? Are we making only YA? Are we only making like rom coms? Like, I don't know. But um, the cool part about it is because it's such a new space, we're like everything's possible. Right. So you're talking about this this new space that you're working in, and how does your boss go about like dealing with that? Because I feel like there's there's it's not very clear with you know, like, what are your, I guess, what are your initiatives right now in, in terms of what, what's on your guys' plate? Hmm. That was I, a convoluted question. <laughs> <laughs> I think right now, um, like I said before, we're, like, in this space where we're trying to figure out what our brand is, right? And so we're reading everything. And so the cool, the, the way 20th kind of operates is, kind of unofficially every executive kind of has like their own specialty so we have a guy who only does like horror and we have a guy who or we have another guy who only does like really big like broad comedies and then Mm -hmm. sarah really specializes in like rom-coms and like ya and like female-led stuff and so um that's like that being said though like we're reading literally everything under the sun and anything that we find to be interesting or that we think is going to be like a big like not big but like a like a broad enough thing like that's what we're looking for i i don't know if i answered your question properly you but did. Yeah. I, it wasn't a clear question i think you did too <laughs> and you know something tyler has said before which i think could also help is like on another podcast uh, another time we were talking you said something about how your job a lot of the way to like see an assistant's job is to visualize it in the sense of what their boss does in yes. a way so like what is i guess your day-to-day and like if it's too difficult to answer that then like what does your boss do every day that like you then have to support so she's constantly she's reaching out to you know her agent friends her manager friends literally anyone out there i think everyone in this town knows like sarah is looking for comedy sarah is looking for romantic comedy sarah is looking for just like 
anything, anything YA, anything in that space. And so every day, you know, she's getting subbed a million scripts, um, a lot of which I get to read. And she's like kind of going through and seeing what she thinks is interesting, what she thinks she can um, kind of send up the flagpole to our president. And then even further up to the Allens, um, who really get final say on green lighting. The Allens. So it's Alan Horn. And Alan Bergman. Those are Alan like, Horn, who's actually retiring at the end of this year. Is he? Yeah. Congratulations, Alan Horn. <laughs> if you're listening, we want to just wish you a big congratulations. You had a great career. Yeah, great career. Phenomenal. <laughs> and uh, we wish you the best in your future endeavors. <laughs> um, but I would say, so uh, how, how old is Sarah? Is she, like, what age range, I guess? I would say, I think she's, like, late. 30s so, early she, 40s. so she's still young and she's hungry. pretty young yeah and so that hunger of like because i i see it a little too like at, at the agency world but like the younger people are like what's the word i'm looking for like trying so hard i guess to get as much as they possibly can to yeah like, and like because they have so much energy so the more that i guess that sarah is i feel like we're trying to say scrounging is that a word scavenging scavenging sure scavenging for uh, these this material these materials like that's just more you have to read and yeah. more you have to to do so is that like a lot of what's falling on your plate right now like yeah. in addition to managing her schedule you're doing coverage yeah a huge a huge part of it is reading a lot of the stuff that she can't get to and she reads like literally no one i've ever met wow. in my life before oh i think gosh. she reads like four or five scripts a day it's it's insane i don't know how she has the time to do it she's on the phone literally all the time like pushing deals and like making sure like the movies that we're currently making like all the ba stuff is getting handled like she's very she's so busy with that stuff it like blows my mind that she even has the time to find new material but the cool part about my job is um yes i am her assistant but and i do obviously have to do like the scheduling and the phones and like normal assistant stuff but I think um an amazing part about our relationship is I think she she has really amazing taste and she um trusts my taste as well which I think is really important um in any relationship between uh, you know like an an assistant and their executive and Mm -hmm. so whenever I go to her and I'm like hey like I think this is amazing um she will always take the time to read it and if she agrees which a lot of the time she does she will work her damnedest to to make sure that at, at the very least um, our president takes a look at it. So let's say I write the funniest rom-com. I, you know, the, the script submitted. What's this sure. rom-com about? Yeah. And it's the funniest <laughs> Please. And it lands on your guy's desk and you both are like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. What's the process after that? Um, we read it. We love it. We send it to our president. We get our president to read it. If he loves it, then we buy it. Has there ever been an instance where maybe the president doesn't love it, but Sarah is super passionate about it and really wants to do it? Yes. All the time. Really? She is, like, again, she's incredible. Like, the way I've seen her, like, push and push and push for projects that she truly believes in. Because you have to remember, like, she is pioneering basically this, like, well, pioneering feels like a really strong word, but she is like putting together this slate of movies that does not exist at the moment, right? And it's a new space, especially for people 
or executives who've worked at a studio for a very, very long time and have a lot of like institutionalized knowledge and like sort of like what they're working or what their knowledge and like what they know. It's really hard to come at it. It's really hard to come with like new information. Right. And so, you know, she, whenever she finds a project that she really believes in and she brings it to our president and maybe it's like not his taste or maybe he doesn't like really understand like what it is and why other people will like it or maybe he's not that impressed with the with the package it comes with she is so good at like sitting there and just like pushing and pushing and pushing and like making him understand this is who the audience is and like maybe you're not the audience but like here's a whole group of people who would love this movie and like here's why like like this is why the writing's incredible this is why the, the director's incredible even if you've never heard of them before and nine times out of ten like when she does push that hard like our president who's like a really awesome guy and like a really open-minded guy as well like he he usually will sit there and go and I think he like really trusts trusts his executives as well so he'll kind of sit there and go okay like if you really believe in this project then you know I really believe in this project and he really lets his executives kind of run with it which is pretty cool oh my that's got to be so cool to be you know working with her and get to see her you know pushing she's, for these things she's amazing she's the best boss i've ever had so is that uh like she seems like she's very good at her job is that more inspirational or is it also like stressful in a way of like this is where i need to get to that's a really good question it's both so it makes me feel like I feel very proud to work for her or someone like her. And I feel very like it, it's it's funny to say <laughs> that like whenever like I talk to the other assistants like in our department, you know, jokingly, everyone's always like, oh, like you're like you have the best boss. You have the best boss. Right. Um, I take a lot of pride in that. It does not make me uncomfortable. It does not make me feel like, oh, my God, it makes me feel very, very good to work for someone that so many other people respect. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, yes, it's very intimidating um, because I did. I actually had a conversation about this with um, one of the junior execs sure. um, over there who has worked with her for a really long time. She came with her from Disney+. Plus. I remember talking to her being like, I just feel like I'm not doing what I need to be doing um, to get promoted. Like, I just like don't feel like I'm in, I, I don't think I'm ready to be promoted yet. And she was like, what are you talking about? Like, you're reading, you were like putting together director's lists, you're putting together writer's lists. Like you have, like, you've been doing this for five years. Like you have the knowledge you need, like to become a CE, to become like a manager, whatever, whatever that next step is, right? And I was, and I just kept saying like, no, 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 like, I hear Sarah on the phone every day. Like, I, I cannot do what she does. And th- that the junior exec was like, you're literally comparing yourself to a woman who has, like, 20 years under her belt. Like, 20 years more than you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it's hard to not compare yourself. Because like you had said earlier, um, you know, we, we, we look at our bosses as, you know, being an assistant. The whole point of being an assistant is we, we want to learn how to do our boss's jobs. And it's cool because you understand your boss's job and you understand the business and you understand how things work. But on the flip side, you also are seeing your boss do work at just like a level that you are not at yet. And it makes and sometimes I can admit it makes you feel very insecure about the the level of work you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's definitely like a hump I'm trying to get over because, no, I don't know. Like Sarah can like literally read a script and like 
immediately know like oh like I think like this would be a great director and like I think that would be a great writer and like in three days she'll have a package that she can take to our resident and I'll be like I don't I don't know how you did that <laughs> like, what? if you can find me an assistant in Hollywood that doesn't feel that same type of insecurity from working for a high level boss I I would be impressed I would love to know yeah mm-hmm. I would really love to know I would I would you should have that assistant on the pod <laughs> yeah. like, let's find them yeah. please find help that us. person <laughs> I just like need that level of confidence right. in me seriously it's crazy I, I feel like everyone can relate to that too yeah. I, I you know, I'm just thinking about it in terms of my job. Like when you just have someone who's so good at their job and you're just like, why am I not? And yeah, it's, it's very natural. Yeah. But also, <laughs> like you said, there are those moments that I, I feel like all of us hold on to in our jobs where we get to see our boss in their element, yes. doing what they do when they're doing it the best. And you just, that feeling of just like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. I love this so much. And I respect them so much for it. Yeah. I think that's what you can hold on to and really just use as your inspiration for yourself. I, I totally agree. And it's definitely something like I hope to do whenever whenever I get promoted. <laughs> so is, is her job what you think you want to do? I think so. Point? Yeah. Okay. I think, um, and for a long time I've thought that I, I really do want to come up at a studio, whether it's on the TV side or it's on the feature side. I haven't really decided what I like better yet. Um, cause I, I, I worked in TV for ever. Um, like literally my entire, since I graduated and this is like my first time when I actually, when, when the job came up, I, I wasn't like super excited about it. Um, because I was like, Oh, I don't care about movies. I don't even watch movies. <laughs> but like, um, when I found out it was like features for Hulu, like that, that was a lot more interesting to me. Um, which I feel like a lot of people don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So, so I, I, like the way I always try to understand it is, and like correct me if I'm wrong, um, but like the a production company is almost the salesman. Like they will collect scripts. They'll find the scripts or the stories or just the novels or whatever they're putting, and they'll pitch it to either studios or networks to eventually make it. But um, and then I would always think of like the studio side is the ones who receive the pitches, but it seems like you're in this space where you get to do both. You get to hear pitches and you get to make pitches because you're at a studio, but you're also an in-house but production I, company. Is that right? Yeah. Well, okay. I, I think that's, um, I think that's a, a, a characteristic of working in features. Like mm. I, because again, like something that I needed to learn as well. When I worked on the TV side, I worked at... The, I worked at 20 TV and mm-hmm. so I was doing like the I was listening to the pitches and all of that but um, at the end of the day we were still pitching and selling our projects to the network the network was the buyer and so the network had the final say and so now I'm in this like now I'm in features and all of a sudden like we have the final say because I mean there is no network right like right. you make your movie and then you like we are we we distribute whatever we make and so that's been that's been the interesting thing um listening and working with production companies and kind of like listening to what they have because they like you said they do a lot of the brunt work but um i think a lot of it too is we we also have a really cool opportunity to go out and find stuff that we're passionate about whether it's a script that's floating around a spec that's like going around town a a script on the blacklist even mm-hmm. um i can even come in with like a book that i love and if there's no studio attached i can 
I can show up and be like, I think this book's amazing. And I think this producer that we have a deal with would do a really good job adapting well, that, it. So you could just find stuff on your own. And do you do, do you do that all the time? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. How often I, are you reading? How often are you reading? <laughs> oh, man. I, um, so I do read a script a day. I, or I, you know, I try. I don't mm-hmm. want to, I don't want to pretend I'm like super assistant reading like five scripts a day. Law of averages. No, like I just, I do read a script a day. <laughs> Um, and then obviously like my weekend read, I try really hard to make sure I'm like keeping on top of, you know, what Sarah tells me to read. But at the same time, like I, I try really hard to like go on the blacklist and I'm trying to like read a bunch of stuff that I find really interesting there. Um, which is really intimidating because the blacklist is massive and mm-hmm. there's so much to read on there. That is crazy. Yeah. I didn't know. Anyone could just go on the blacklist and read. Well, you do need to have an account. Oh. Um, and so Sarah has an account, which Got I use. Um, you just go on and, and read scripts? Yeah, it's and, actually. And someone, does someone filter out like the blacklist already? Like, those are, are they just a list of unmade scripts? Yeah. Or are they like good unmade scripts? They're good unmade They're scripts. Good unmade yeah. Scripts. So I think like, I think a script on the blacklist, it needs to be approved. Okay. And selected to be on the blacklist. Um, but yeah, like some really, like Fargo was found on the blacklist. And oh. I think like the social network too was found on the blacklist. Wow. Just like some really amazing movies that were like kind of like cast aside but put on the blacklist and were found and made. That's so interesting. Um, and and I know like as as an assistant when you're trying to be like proactive and you're trying to like show your moxie and show like how you're able to like go out and find things... Um, I remember I like uh, Sarah asked me to go on the blacklist and she was like, just like kind of peruse around, read whatever you'd like. And I went on there and I found the script about um, Bollywood fusion college dance teams, which I thought was really funny because every single one of my like Indian friends out here in LA was on the UCLA Bollywood fusion team. No way. <laughs> just every <Yeah>. single one <laughs> of them. And so when I saw it, and the, and the title of the script is um, is literally like the name of the the final competition. And so I saw it, I laughed, I was like, I have to read this. Um, and so I did, and I like texted all my friends, and I was like, LOL, like someone wrote a script about this. <laughs> um, and then like a week later, I remember I, I was in a meeting with Sarah, and she was like, Richie, like, did you happen to read anything on the blacklist? And it had occurred to me in that moment that that was the only script I had read. <laughs> um, and so I, I pitched it and I was like, if you want it, you can read it. And she read it. She ended up loving it. No way. Yeah. And she like, she loved it. And she was like, Oh, like I think like Lily Singh would be like an amazing person to attach to this. What do you think? And I was like, well, yeah, like she was on it. One of these dance teams when she was in college, like back in Toronto. So that would be pretty appropriate. And she, Sarah, who had like, who has a relationship with her producing partner, took her out to lunch, pitched it. Now Lily's attached to the movie. Look at as you. A, as a producer, not um, talent. And it's not a movie that we're doing because unfortunately the way things work in this business is, um, yes, we can bring a script and yes, we can be um, proactive. But at the end of the day, um, you know, if our president doesn't, think it's a go then it's not a go and the project just unfortunately is not able to be put so together. It, at the end of the day it's just one person who has that say at the end like how many people i don't want to say like one person i think like 
I think if it's like a pretty incredible package, like Sarah does a really good job of going to the mat. Um, but I think for this one, it was like a pretty like unknown baby writer. Yes, we were able to attach Lily, but like, the, and Sarah, like kudos to her, like really, she did go to the mat and she did try really hard to convince him. And then, you know, at the end of the day, he just like, it, it wasn't what he was looking for for the streamer. I mean, that mm. that's the decision you get to make as president of the studio, right? Sure. And so, um, but things like that happen all the time. That's fair. Yeah. So you mentioned something too. I feel like it's the first time we've ever talked about it on this podcast. And so maybe I'm wrong, but you mentioned Weekend Read. And <laughs> I think Weekend Read is such an interesting aspect of in this industry. Like, do you mind talking about it and going into detail? A little bit of what you do on your weekend read. Yes. Um, again, I have I I have a better boss than most, and mm-hmm. so my weekend read is very flexible. In that, if I don't get to everything, I don't get to everything, and she's not going to rip my face off. But I do know that like some people, that like weekend read is a twenty four hour turnaround. Like you are handed seven to eight scripts that you're expected to read over the weekend and you need to have coverage written on and you need to report on Monday what you liked and what you didn't like. It's like a book report. It's literally a book report. And it depends on your boss. Like I like I know at the studio most execs don't want like I think like the, the structure is like a page long summary, like half a page of thoughts, um something to that degree right um no one at the studio wants that like really they're looking for like a quick paragraph synopsis tell me what happened and then like a quick paragraph of this is what i like this is what i don't like and i mean obviously if you have like a lot of thoughts um then great you have a lot of thoughts but if it's a script you're passing on like no one wants to read a page of your thoughts on a script you didn't like right right? like that makes sense so and so how many scripts or books are you getting handed a day or a weekend a weekend i would say about two to three it's nothing crazy i think i spend about maybe like two hours a day yeah two hours a day i would say so four hours total on weekend read it takes me about it takes me about an hour to like crush through like 100 to like 115 pages which is like the average length of a feature that's Mm -hmm. really and so are you mostly just reading scripts not books yeah mostly reading scripts i do love books and so when i can read a book i do but they're very time consuming and so i don't find myself reading a ton of books right do you even find yourself reading things for pleasure anymore yes i actually do. do well again i love to read books like my apartment like is literally decorated with books like i'm a big big book person favorite book oh my god don't answer don't ask me that i have no idea no no no, it's fine um i do not have a favorite book my favorite book is catcher in the rye i love catcher i love catcher in the rye i haven't read it it would not be my favorite book but i haven't read it since high school (laughs) yes i didn't read in high school so i read it after and you probably had a deeper appreciation I for it. Did. I did. Yeah. I loved it. I feel like books that you read in high school, books that we've had to read in high school are probably incredible if you weren't forced to read them. Right. I liked Gatsby. Gatsby. Oh, I loved Gatsby. And I liked Of Mice and Men. I actually never read that one. Yeah, you love books? Like, you never read Of, of Mice I've and never Men? read Of Mice and Men. <laughs> it's such a quick read. Did you read Lord of the Flies? I read I've that read one. I've read Lord of the Flies. 
I've read I love to kill a mockingbird too. That's also one of my favorites. Those are great. Actually, um twentieth is doing like a whole Agatha Christie thing. Um and I loved Agatha Christie, which is actually kind of morbid, but I loved <laughs> Agatha Christie. Um What's Agatha and, What's Agatha Christie? And then there were none. Should I know that? What's and then there were none? Mm-hmm. I don't know that. That is a classic. Well, look at me. I just well uh, quit everything and leave. Um, but yeah, I do. I do try to read for pleasure when I can, um, and when I am reading for pleasure, I'm, I'm able to get through a book pretty quickly. It'll take me about, I'd say, like three-ish hours to get through like a three hundred page book. That's insane. Well, when you read so much, like I think I feel like you get faster and faster and faster. Wow. I you must read a ton. Well, you have to, right? I guess so. <laughs> I have to sometimes like read a page over again. Sure I'm comprehending <laughs> every time I read a whole that. chapter. I'm just like, I don't know what I read. <laughs> I've a hundred percent had to sit and read scripts, and like, I'll get, I'll read the, the like the same page, and it'll just be dialogue. Or actually, the worst is when like they're all um, action description pages, and mm-hmm. you're just like reading and reading, and like you can't. Like, your imagination, like, just doesn't work that day, and you're mm-hmm. not able to picture the things happening. I've had that happen. So what's your setup? You you sit down and go to read a script. Do you print out all the pages? Do you have a, a nope. Kindle? Do you read it on your laptop? Do you have a pencil in front of you? Are you on a couch? We are environmentally friendly. I read most things on my iPad. I have, like, a little pen, and I like to make notes on my scripts. Um, I don't really do it. I don't find it helpful. To be completely honest, I just do it because it makes me feel important. Really? Um, But I do, I spend a lot of time. So the way it works is I have my script and then I actually have um, my notes app open on my laptop. And then as I'm reading scripts, if I ever find myself um, asking a question like, oh, like, why did she do that? Or why did that happen? Or this was confusing. Or Those aren't good questions to be asking when you're reading a script. Well, sometimes they are because they're good to go back and be like, because when I'm writing notes or to my boss and I'm saying like, hey, this is why I liked something or this is why I didn't like something. Mm -hmm. No script is perfect, right? And so when I'm like, oh my God, like I love the script. I liked X, Y, and Z things. It's also really important to also include, I loved this, but I thought X, Y, and Z could have, use some work it shows that you are actually comprehending and actually actually critically thinking about the script that you're reading well and also when a script is greenlit through you know 20th you there's revisions that are going to be made. always 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 up until you know the day of shooting right i um the the movie that we're going into pre-production um we're in pre-production right now. It was the first script Sarah gave me to read um, when I started back in March. And oh, cool. this was before like there was any talks about making this movie. She was just like, she, read the script. Or... She was like kind of in talks with um, the producers, okay. but like our president hadn't okayed it yet. That that movie actually was the one she really like gunned for. Um, but yeah, our president hadn't approved it yet. It had not been greenlit yet. It's a, literally just in talks with the producers. But um, that movie, I read the first draft and I remember thinking to myself, this is a great script. I would totally watch it. I don't even know what I would change. That script has gone through like six or seven revisions. And what do you attribute that to? Because I feel like a lot of the times revisions are coming from people's opinions and not always the writer's. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I think a lot of the a, a lot of the revisions are coming from studio execs because we are 
our job as a studio executive is to make sure that there are no holes, right? Like we're, we're making sure that when the movie is made, an audience at the end of the day doesn't really have a ton of questions at the end of it. Obviously, those, those questions you write on your iPad, precisely. they don't exist anymore. They don't exist anymore. They have to be answered. And then, you know, our, our job is to also make sure that the story flows okay. Our job is to make sure that like whatever we're putting on screen fits our mandate. That's a really big part of it, actually. Um, making sure that the movie is of the caliber that it needs to be for our studio. And so, yeah, like a script can go through like, and then the other part of the reason there are a ton of revisions is because the studio execs have something in mind, but we're not doing the writing. We're just relaying notes and it's up to the writer to take our notes and interpret them the way that they interpret them. And so sometimes the writer understands the assignment and like, we'll go in gets the notes, like is able to hit the nail on the head with exactly like what we were looking for. And then other times it doesn't like other times we give notes and a writer will look at those notes and either say, I don't agree with them. I don't want to do that. Or they they'll misunderstand the notes and they won't and, and they'll interpret it in a way that we were not trying to relay. I feel like that if, if I eventually become an assistant to an executive studio or something production company, that would be the one thing that I would want to know the most of how to effectively give notes in a way that isn't pushing someone to do something, but almost just like suggesting something to yep. someone. So clearly, is Sarah very good at doing that? Is that something you've taken away from this position? Yeah, Sarah is really good at giving notes. And I it, I think it's a skill that you have to hone over years and years. And I think one part of it is just reading so much and like really honing in on your own taste. Um, that's what she tells me all the time. Whenever we have like our one-on-ones and I'm asking for advice, um, she's constantly saying you have to keep reading because if the more you read, the more you'll understand your own taste and you'll be able to pass that on to the person you're giving your notes to. The other part of it is you have to, you have to make sure you are relaying your, your thoughts in a way where you're not you're not telling the writer what to do because that's not your job. You're not telling the writer what to write. You're not telling them um you're not telling them how a scene should be cut. You're not you're, you're, that's not what you're doing. You are merely there to guide your writer. Mm. And that's why a studio executive is there. You're there to say, "Hey, like I don't think the emotion that you were looking to depict in this scene is coming through." So like fix that. Um or hey, like your character is coming across in like a certain way. And so um, I don't know if that's what you were trying to relay, but we don't think that's what should be relayed. Fix it. Like that's what an exec is there to do. We're not there to write the script. good examples of notes. Yes. (laughs) And and you don't think you should be promoted. I I still don't think I should be promoted. (laughs) Is there a discrepancy in the amount of sensitivity you need to have in giving notes to different writers? Definitely. Um, and I think a big part of that is having a relationship with your writer, uh-huh. which you eventually do, right? Like a writer is is coming to you with their project and they're trusting you with their work. And, you know, writers are, are very um, are very proud of their work. They're very, um, 
they're, they're very involved in their work and they care about their work a lot. And so some writers are really good at receiving critique. And so, you know, executives can go in guns a blazing being like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. Never use the word hate. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, other writers don't like that approach and that's okay too. I certainly would not, if I was a writer, I yeah. would not want an executive coming at me being like, I hate this. Right. Please fix it. Well, and I think it's very tough. I feel like when you write something, it becomes your baby yes. in a way. So you care deeply for it. Right. And if people don't treat it, I guess, with the right sensitivity, that could be dangerous. You also want to make sure um, that, you know, back to the sensitivity of it, you want to make sure you understand where your writer's coming from. Like, you don't know if your writer is drawing from personal experience. Right. You don't know if your writer um, cares a lot about, or like, is particularly attached to a certain scene or a certain character. So you want to, you know, the right questions to ask are like, why did your character do this? Or why did you feel that this needed to happen at this time? And, and again, guiding your writer in a way, but not telling them that you didn't like certain things, but telling them like, Hey, like this didn't work for me or I didn't understand this. And so if this is what you were trying to, um, if this is what you were trying to say, like it's not coming through. That's truly it. Yeah. Does it ever feel like one side has the upper hand? Like the writer has the upper hand because it's their project or the studio has the upper hand because they're the ones who are going to fund it into production? Well, that's tough, right? Yeah. Because for me coming from the studio, like it's so easy for me to say like that, um, you know, like we are the final say and we have the upper hand and, you know, writers should be lucky that we're even like looking at our projects. But I mean, that's not, that right. that's just like not how this business works, right? right? Hollywood is is an industry of relationships and you have, you know, something I always think about, and this goes for writers, for executives, even for assistants. It's, it's that you have no idea where people will end up later down the line. Right. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be the, the shitty executive that, you know, went to your writer and was like, Hey, like you have to listen to me because like I'm the studio and you don't even have a credit under your belt. And then like, what like a couple of years later that guy writes a script that goes on to win an oscar like you have you have no idea i i, I wouldn't say there's an upper hand to anything Good. i think like studios studios have writers that they really want to work with and so those writers maybe feel like they have the upper hand and then that there are writers who you know are looking for their big break and like it it feels like studios might have the upper hand i think we both it, it's all very symbiotic right we all kind of need each other mm -hmm. that's so great that you are just in this position where you can see all of this happening and are able to have all this knowledge about the process of the relationship between the writers and the producers as i talk about it i'm like where is this coming from <laughs> did i know all of this right. all along right i mean it's, <laughs> I, you, you're just a sponge like you just soak it all up i think it's so amazing well i think it's also one of those things right where i think there's certain careers out there where you have to you have to truly want it and be passionate about it to to actually do it and thrive at it not that i'm saying i'm thriving i definitely don't think thrive is the word but i think i'm doing okay um you know i was supposed to go to med school like prior to all of this mm -hmm. and I have, and my friends who actually did go to med school, you know, we, we laugh all the time because, you know, to be a doctor, to go through all the bullshit you need to go through to become a doctor, like, you have to love it. You have to, like, you have to love to study. You have to love the human body. Like, you have to love every aspect of it because why would you put yourself through that? Right. And the same thing for us. Like, 
we are getting paid pennies to 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 schedule and answer phones and to to do work that you know none of us went to college to do but we all love being here we love being surrounded by creativity we love being in the room where it happens i definitely do i love that you know yeah i have to schedule and yes i have to listen to phone calls yeah just yesterday i was rolling calls and my um my friend like was over and was like, well, I can't your boss answer her own phone. And I was like, because I get to listen to everything. If she makes her own calls, I don't get to listen to her conversations and therefore I don't get to learn. And so you have to truly like, you have to like love the goal that you are reaching towards, mm-hmm. I suppose is my long winded way of saying this is, <laughs> this really is an amazing sad. thing, but you yeah. truly have to love it. Well, it's like, it's like an industry tax. Like everybody has to pay them and yeah. nobody wants to, but you know what? That being said, you know, it's not right. Like people like, like assistants should not be getting paid minimum wage. And like, we should, you know, this industry as a whole should be making more money or yeah. not as a whole, but like definitely lower levels. And that's like we a whole thing. Hard. We work very hard for what we do. And I know there are a lot of assistants out there who are, not getting what you know what they're owed mm-hmm. but that being said i i think there is something to be said about going through the assistant ranks and doing and starting at the bottom and working your way up i think that's truly the best way you you learn and you said you were going to go to med school right and that was supposed that was to your supposed school. to life path exactly at what point did you realize entertainment was what you wanted to do um i was like point three on my GPA away from like failing out of school. Oh no. In college or in college. Yeah. I, so I went to high school. I was part of this like med science Academy thing. And it was basically like all, all, like every single person in my class, like wanted to go into healthcare in some capacity. Right. I, me and like a bunch of people wanted to go to med school and that was the goal forever. And then I went to Rutgers and my, my class schedule was literally bio chem calculus and like something called expository writing which is like the freshman writing class that every freshman at Rutgers has to take and you'll either do really really well or you'll completely it'll be like the one class you fail I got an a flying colors expository (laughs) writing um like barely passed bio failed chem failed calc like and still thought to myself okay it's first semester i'm just gonna keep trucking along um did another very poor semester and still thought to myself okay it's one year like i'm just gonna work a lot harder i'm gonna take summer classes and then sophomore year comes along i'm taking like organic chemistry and like a bunch of like nonsense science classes that i had no business taking and I, I'm like, and I'm working so hard. It wasn't even like I was lazy and partying. Like I was like, like studying so hard and just like nothing was getting through. And I was looking at my friends who were taking the same exact classes as me, who were also working hard, but nowhere near as hard as I was working. And they were getting A's and B's and like they were doing fine. And my mom finally came to me and was like, you're going to fail out of school. Like, I don't know what you need to do, but you have to figure it out. Like, at this point, you're not going to med school. Like, there's no there's no recovering from this. And so I decided to switch my major to communications because it was, like, the easiest major at Rutgers. Like, true. And, and it's easy for a reason. It's because as a comm major, you're supposed to, like, intern and you're supposed to, like, go out and work. Like, you're not, like, the whole point of, like, 
easy classes and a light course load is like you're supposed to be like out there working and networking and like what else would you need a communications degree for right but i thought i'd work in pr because pr sounded like marketing and marketing was something i could explain to my parents and they would understand <laughs> i don't know like they, they were like we don't know what public relations is but my dad was like i know what marketing is yeah. and so i did pr and then i interned my first internship was actually out here in la on the fox lot i worked um for the the public relations like theatrical pr department which was really cool i got to work on like stuff for like spy and paper towns and like um the martian had just come out mm. So I got to work, and this was 2015, so I got to work on stuff like that. And then I didn't even know development was something you could get paid to do. I didn't, like, I knew, like, movies were made. I just, like, didn't know how, and I didn't know it was a job that you could actually have and a title you could have. And then one of my intern friends worked in, was a development intern, I think at FX, or 28 TV, actually. Um, So he, like, set me up with one of his managers, and I had, like, a copy with her. She explained it to me, and I was like, this is literally my dream job but I didn't realize because you know working in development it, it it is like the it's like the sexy job right like mm-hmm. it's the job like it, when you imagine like I want to work in Hollywood I want to make tv I want to make movies like it's development like Everybody that's what's it everyone wants to be in development but the people who make it into the people who get those jobs and those internships are people who know people or who are children of people right and I didn't know a damn person mm-hmm. and so Went back to Rutgers. I interned at Comedy Central my fall semester in their PR department. In New York? In New York, yeah. Nice. And then I, I then I got like what I thought was like the holy grail of internships. I worked at 30 Rock. Um, I was in like the entertainment PR department. I was doing like I was on the PR team that was working for like SNL and like late night and the Tonight Show, like, my offices were literally on the SNL floor. Like, Lauren Michaels was, like, down the hall. Mm. Kate McKinnon was, like, my bathroom buddy. Was that your favorite of her. the internships? It was my least favorite. Really? What I thought was, like, the holy grail, I walked away from that just being, like, I do not want to work in PR. This is not for me. Like, I'm not good at it. And then I, I remember going back to my old I I was like I want to work in development like at this point I'm not going to med school I really have nothing to lose let's just dive into the deep end and like see what happens and my 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 old supervisor at Fox was like you don't know a single person like you're gonna have to like start in the mailroom or do something and so I got really lucky I got a job um I got into the mailroom at CAA in New York and I was there for like a year and a half. I started in the mailroom, became a floater. Then I hopped onto a scripted desk. There were only three um, scripted TV desks um, in the New York office because the New York office is mainly known. And their TV department is really just unscripted mm-hmm. for the most part. And there were only three scripted desks and all those assistants had been there for forever. And so I think I was like the last of my mailroom class to actually land a desk because I was stubborn and I was like, I'm not going to yeah. work. I'm, I will get the scripted desk. Uh, you got it. And I got it. Um, and then I decided I wanted to move to LA and I got a, my first job out here was working for Shay Mitchell. She had an overall, so Pretty Little Liars had just ended. And so they gave her an overall deal at WBTV. So I came on as her development assistant. And who's um, Shay Mitchell? Did she create Pretty Little Liars? Is that what happened? No, no, no. She was one of the actresses. Oh. She was like one of the actresses. She was one of the Pretty Little Liars. There were like four she girls. She is one a Pretty four. Little Liar. Yeah. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't. She's one of the four. Um, and so, yeah, I worked for her for like a year and a half. And that was a pretty cool job because I didn't learn a ton about development. Um, but I did 
learn I, I was kind of like Shay and I got along pretty well so I got pulled into her world of like YouTube and Instagram and like um brand endorsement deals which is actually pretty cool and I learned a lot and I like met a lot of really cool people that I don't think I would have met if I had gone like a more traditional route mm-hmm. but then you know obviously I needed to do development stuff and so I left I hopped on over to Jennifer Lopez's production company which is on the universe a lot I was there for I think like two months um before the 20th TV job kind of fell into my lap. Um, I So Terrence Carter, who now works, who's now running the TV department at Westbrook. Um, he's the president of TV there. His assistant, um, her and I were friends like from when I worked for Shay. And I think she thought I was still looking for a job and didn't know I went over to Jennifer Lopez's and she was going to go work for Dana Walden. And so she was like, oh, do you want to come in and interview for my desk? And that's sort of how that whole thing happened. Wow. I. So I got onto Terrence's desk and then after like eight months, he left to run Westbrook and then Jen Gortz came in and took his place. And then I worked for Jen in person for like three months and then the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And then from like March to December, we were working remotely and then the reorg happened. Um, This like big Disney. 2020, right? Yeah, 2020. So it's like big reorg at Disney happened where they were just like reorganizing um the departments and um they actually you know the reason sarah's on the features team now is because she used to be running disney plus and um they were like doing this thing where they were moving all the creative executives over to the studio side and like that was like a whole thing but all in all um my boss ended up leaving 20th and so i needed to find a new job and so sarah needed an assistant and i was like here I am. Look at and that. now I work Sweet in features. Class. That is, is such a good story. Do you take think... a breath. Yeah, take that <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> Without the conversation you had and your mom kind of shining a light on what med school would really look like well, for we're you. We're going all the way back. Yeah. No, all the way. Seriously, I'm going all the way back here. Do you think you would have still tried to pursue the medical route without that conversation. I think about that a lot, actually. Yeah. And I think, um, I, you know, at the time I was like, you know, I, I was like almost a straight A student in, in high school. Like I doing poorly in school was like foreign to me. And all of a sudden I'm like getting my, my term reports back and like, they're like F's and D's on there. And I literally was like, so for, for two years, it was like such a demoralizing feeling, especially when all my friends were doing just fine. And you know, at the time I, I, I looked at my life and I was like, I'm going to be like a failure forever. Like, and I don't think any part of me was, would have pursued entertainment. I think I would have like, I would have powered through, I would have, you know, graduated. And then I think I probably would have gone to work for my dad. He works in pharmaceuticals. And that would have been like the easiest thing for me to do because, you know, I had a horrible GPA. So who the hell was going to hire me? Mm -hmm. And then like, you know, my like working for my dad, that's like an automatic job. So like, but I don't think I would have been happy. I think I would have just like had a job and I would have, you know, done what I needed to do. And I think like when I look back on it, I, I needed to hit that, what I considered to be rock bottom like I needed to hit that that moment where I was just like, this is like, this is the worst it's going to get. And I needed to hit that point where I was just like, you know what? Like I, I have nothing to lose. Like let's go work in TV. Let's go work in entertainment. Fuck it. Who cares? Yeah. Like I'm just going to like 
I'm I, just going to go for it. I can relate to your story so much. I mean, I I was studying business my freshman year and exactly to the same, you know, thing that you experienced. I was completely miserable doing something and I had always done well in school and was trying so much harder than everybody else. But, you know, my grades weren't reflecting that. And I had a similar switch. So I just think it's so important to be able to have, as we've talked about in this podcast so many times, mm-hmm. parents who are supportive of your success and your happiness and who put your happiness over what society might think is success. Yeah. I, you know, I, I look at my parents a lot and I'm just kind of like, they had no idea what any of this was. Like no one in my family, no one we knew. Like my my parents are part of like a really big Indian community back in back in Jersey. And like when I said I wanted to work in TV, when I said I wanted to work in entertainment, like my parents were like, what? <laughs> 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 and then my mom sat there and like I remember I, I remember this so vividly where I I was like I'm gonna go work in the mailroom like I'm gonna go to CIA I'm gonna work in the mailroom it's gonna be fine and they like I mean at that point my mom was just like okay like at least she graduated from college like she has a college degree right. we'll let her do her mailroom thing and like a year we'll find a guy for her we'll marry her off like it'll be fine yeah oh, it, it was literally like and I remember hearing my mom say that to my dad and I was just like, oh, wow. oh my God, like, no, we're, and the goal, the goal was if I'm going to pursue this, I'm only going to work at places that my parents can recognize. Like I'm only going to work like at companies and at names where if I go to my parents and I'm like, hey, I got a job at XYZ, they know exactly what I'm talking about and they can go to their friends. And when their friends are like, uh-huh, like your daughter's like doing this, like my, like I remember my dad, like didn't really know what CIA was, but there's like this big pharmaceutical convention that happens in New York City every year. And he goes and, you know, he was talking to his colleagues or whatever. And one of his colleagues asked what I was up to. And my dad was like, oh, she works at a place called CIA. It's a talent agency. And that guy was like, your daughter works at CIA. Like, do you do you know, do you, do you even know what that means? And my dad was like, no, all I know is she makes $12 an hour and she delivers mail. Like I, I, and, and that guy was just like, it is like such a prestigious honor to like work at a place like that. Like if she wants to work in entertainment, there's no better place. And I remember my dad came home and like, he was so proud. Like he was just like, I can't believe like, I didn't even like, and then I remember he like sent me this article that the Hollywood Reporter had published, and it was like why why Ivy League kids are are opting to work in a mailroom straight out of college, and it was like this whole article about how you know working at CIA, WME, UTA, ICM, like working at one of these big four agencies is like it's like literally entertainment grad school, right? And working at one of them is like I don't know. I always used to say like working at CIA is like working at like the Harvard of like entertainment grad schools. Um, but it took a, it took a really long time for them to understand. And I think after CAA, when I went over to work at, for Shea, I was still working, you know, at Warner Brothers. And so my parents were like telling everyone like, yeah, like our daughter works at Warner Brothers. And then after that, like when I went to Jennifer Lopez, it was at Universal. And so my parents would tell everyone, yeah, like our daughter works at Universal. And then like I got the job at 20th and now my dad is like, he goes around telling everyone, yeah, like my daughter works at Disney. All good. All <laughs> the good. Big umbrella. My kids, they didn't go to Ivy League schools, but I got a son who works at Amazon and a daughter who works at Disney. I'm chilling. I think what makes your story so unique is that you set your mind to only getting these jobs in the industry with these large, you know, well known companies, and you've been successful at it. 
and that hasn't necessarily posed, uh, you know, a, I'm not going to say it hasn't posed a challenge to you, but typically if someone's going to do something like that, like it's going to be hard for them to get a job here and there. But it seems like your path has just been, you know, you started at CAA and then you moved up and you just keep going to these other companies and it's great. Has it been as easy as you just made it seem? No. <laughs> not not at all. Okay. But, but I will say, um, you know, working in entertainment, I don't want to say like, oh, like the like I worked really hard and like, I, I mean, I did work really hard, but I think a large part of working in this business and I'm sure you guys can agree is luck. Like truly just luck. Like it's about being at the right place at the right time and meeting the right people. I will say though, uh, like, yes, it is about luck, but like you can't be in the right place at the right time unless you're putting yourself in that position over and over and over again. That's fair. So, like, I definitely don't want to take away from your success and attribute it all to luck there because, like, there's definitely a rhyme and reason as to why you've gotten so far so quickly. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) okay, yeah, okay. So I can agree. It's it's not all luck. Like I definitely did work hard, and um, you know, I I was I I attribute a lot of it to blind faith. Um, just you know, wanting something so badly, and just like applying and applying and applying, and like making sure I did everything in my power. Like I remember when I when I was working for Shay, I was like, I like I want to work at a studio. Like I don't care what studio but like I'm gonna work at a studio and I remember I was like I was on LinkedIn like just like (laughs) every (laughs) (laughs) on LinkedIn just like looking for like any recruiter at like NBC Universal any recruiter at Warner's like any recruiter at 20th like literally just and and just like I mean networking drinks were like a big part of it too like any like agent assistant or any like studio assistant that would agree to meet with me um I was like I was going on like three to four drinks a week which was not smart I made no money but like (laughs) just like going on all these drinks just like really really like telling people how much I wanted to work at a studio and also just like you know there's like a way to do it you have to like show up and like kind of be like a charismatic person you have to like not give off like an air of desperation which I was definitely towing the line I'd like show up and I'd have to like coach myself into into not showing up and being like do you know if anything's available (laughs) do you have a job like so I I definitely did work really hard and I I knew what I wanted and I think that was a big part of it Mm -hmm. I think like a really really big part of it was knowing what I wanted knowing where I wanted to be and kind of saves a lot of time And and then you're just like not getting drinks with all of Hollywood. It's Ugh. like, like you have a goal in mind. It's definitely doing that at one point. <laughs> yeah. And it probably, it was probably helpful to set a target on it. I hope so. Yeah. Um, and it's cool because like a lot of the people that I've, that I got drinks with years ago, you know, like I said before, everyone kind of moves on to different things and like, you never know where like an assistant's gonna, um, end up. Like I know a lot of people kind of fall into the bad habit of, not wanting to meet with assistants who work at like production companies that they've never heard of or like just like at companies that they or management companies they've never heard of. Like, and I think that's a really dangerous game because like, because I think we fall into this thing where we want to meet with people who we feel can help us, but you also never know where that person is going to end up and if they'll end up in a place where one day they can help you. I, I got drinks with so many like, 
assistants who were who worked for like lower level managers or like smaller production companies who are now like assistants or even CEs at like Apple and Netflix and like are doing like really or even just like working at larger production companies and doing really cool things everyone has to start somewhere right and like not everyone's first job is going to be like on an original series desk at Netflix like it just Mm -hmm. it doesn't work that way I mean sometimes it does but most of the time it doesn't no it does not wow (laughs) jinx so well said um before we wrap up there's one more question I want to ask. Please. And if there's any tips you can give to reading your books as fast as you do them, <laughs> what would it be? It's practice. Practice makes perfect. I I grew up at, like being a total bookworm. All I did was read books. I remember like growing up, like my reward for getting like an A on my weekly algebra test was I got to go to Barnes and Noble and my mom would buy me a book. No like way. that was like, that was like the level. That was of- my punishment. Well, yeah, well, I, I missed that part of life. How do I catch up now? Just keep reading and read for pleasure. Like mm-hmm. I, I know it's really hard and I know like, especially if you're an assistant, especially a development assistant and you have so many scripts on your plate, like carve out time to read for fun and that will definitely help like put away Gilmore Girls for like a little bit like don't rewatch The Office for the 1700th time like and maybe use like that hour to literally just read something for fun it doesn't all have to be work it doesn't all have to be you know something that you can adapt into like the next Harry Potter like just read for fun and then when you get into it like you just end up it, it you just fall into that practice. And where's your best reading place? Is it in bed before you go to sleep, or is it on a couch? It's or... on a couch. It's um in bed before I go to bed. What about like at a table like this? Would you put a book down? On I probably the table? wouldn't. Really? So you like to get comfortable and, and I like to get comfy. I like to I like to like lay down and read. It's not the most comfortable, but it's I think it's what I've known. You're a casual speed reader. I am. I know. I notice I can read faster if I have a pencil in hand and I'm at a table and I'm just going through. Well, like back in the day before falling asleep to Netflix, it was um, falling asleep to reading books. I remember (laughs) like just like sitting in my room, like reading until I fell asleep, which actually isn't great because now like when I went to college and I had to study, like the minute I would start reading, I'd start getting sleepy. (laughs) Like I conditioned myself. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, just lots of reading. Well, I love that. Thank you for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. It was a pleasure. I yeah. hope I didn't talk too much. You did such a great job for the, your first time being on a podcast. <laughs> you, talked, you talked as much as you should have. It's a podcast. We got to talk. What, are, what else are we going to do? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's say our thank yous. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Steven. Thank you, Rushika. Thank you to Ross, my brother, who produces this podcast. He does all the editing. Hi, Ross. Hi, Ross. <laughs> um, and yeah, we're the mailroom where we interview aspiring entertainment industry professionals. Rushika, you're a great guest. Thank you. I hope people take a lot from it. It was really nice. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, see you next time. All right. Thank you.